Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor say amen. Amen. Let me start by asking you this question. When was the last time you were cut to the heart? When was the last time someone said something to you and it just cuts right to your soul? I'm not saying something that made you feel better. I'm saying, when did someone give you a truth that inspired you to something greater? When was the last time you were cut to the heart? When was the last time that someone gave you a truth that made sense of it all, that tied it all together? A truth that makes life worth living, a truth that inspires us because it's true, it's real, and because itself is inspired. A truth that when life falls apart, a truth that when your bad choices finally catch up with you, when hurt and pain comes, do you have a truth? Were you ever given a truth that will get you through those times? When was the last time you were cut to the heart? Today we're going to look at a sermon from Scripture that did just that, that cut to the heart. And this sermon, it's actually the very first sermon that was preached after Jesus rose from the dead, after he ascended back to heaven. And in this sermon, a truth was revealed that didn't just change the world. It was a truth that changed hearts. It was a sermon that cut to the heart. You know, a couple, a couple years ago, I think it was a couple years ago, some time ago, I, I preached a message. And on my way home from church, my oldest daughter was with me. Because you guys know, one of the hardest parts about being a pastor is I never get to go to church with my family. Right? I, I always have to come early. My wife gets the kids ready, and they come later. And then after church is all done, when we go home, we, we, we split up. Or this one time, uh, my oldest daughter rode home with me. And as we're driving, we're driving, driving home, I said to her, I said, Kennedy, what did you think of dad's sermon today? You know, because for some reason, parents always speak in third person to their kid. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> what was it? What did you think of dad's sermon today? And she goes, eh, it was okay. <laughs> and you know, I, I like to fancy myself a humble man. I can take critique. Not always going to knock it out of the park. That's all right. So I just was like, I just said, okay. And I just kind of like was staring off like into the, you know, into the, just driving. And I just kind of remarked. I said, yeah, well, not every sermon can be your next best one. And then she goes, without missing a beat, she goes, why not? <laughs> you're lucky you're my kid. You know, but actually, let, let's, let's take that question, because she, obviously, you guys know she was being completely innocent. She was completely innocent. But let's take that question seriously for a moment. Why can't every sermon be the next best one? You know, I think part of this has to do with the idea that like, sermons and, and how much you like a sermon and what, what do we mean by best, this is all subjective, right? What I think could be an amazing sermon, you guys could think just flopped. And vice versa, because that's happened. But here's the reality. Um, I hope you know this, that there are bad ways to preach the Bible. 
There are, there are right ways to preach the Bible. There are bad ways to preach the Bible in which you walk away and still feel entertained. And that's dangerous in our world. Because here's the reality. Preachers are not preaching this thing rightly. And they're preaching it in ways that, that make it feel more palatable to our culture at large. Thankfully, I believe uh, the vast majority of the churches in our area, we've got solid preachers. I got friendships with a lot of them. But the reality is, is a lot of preachers will twist the scriptures to make it more conducive and acceptable by today's standards. But here's the reality. That was the devil's very first trick to twist what God said. You know, the idea, though, going back, you know, what does it mean for a sermon to be the best sermon or your next best sermon? Yeah, a preacher has to preach the word of God rightly. But I think in a sense, for it to be effective, a congregation, you all have to have the ears to hear and the heart to receive the truth. I think one of the most important questions we can ask when we do this, this little dance of ours where I preach a word and you receive that word, I think the number one question is, is, is the Holy Spirit working? Because the Holy Spirit will not work in a message that's not founded on God's truth. So while you may walk away entertained and even feeling inspired by a non-biblical message, for transformation to truly come that doesn't just change the world but to change hearts, the Holy Spirit has to be working in both the one preaching and the one hearing. In the passage and the sermon that we're going to look at today, the Holy Spirit was clearly working working in the apostle Peter as he boldly proclaims a message, the gospel message. The Holy Spirit was working among his heart and the heart of the people as they received that message that cut them to the heart. So let me get ahead right now. Hopefully you're asking this question right now. Where's your heart at right now? Where's your heart at right now? Are are you in a spot where you are willing to, to open your heart and to receive what God has to say? Please, I mean, I, I, I want you to walk away not thinking, man, we got a great preacher. I want you walking away thinking, man, we got a great God. And that only happens when you receive the word of God that's true about him and true about what he says about you and what he's calling you to. So, where's your heart? Are you here to receive a word from God or are you here to be entertained? Are you here to critique my sermon Or are you here to be spiritually nourished as you consume the word of God? Today, I pray that your hearts are open to hear what God has for all of us. And in this sermon series, uh, we've been looking for these last few weeks at the first couple months, kind of the aftermath of what happened after Jesus resurrected from the dead, after he returned to heaven, what happened to the disciples afterwards. And to do that, we've been looking at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And today, we're going to find ourselves at Peter's sermon, the great Pentecost sermon. And what that sermon shows us about our time, his time and our time, is that now we, all of us, now that Jesus has returned to heaven, we live in the time of the announcement. This is the time where Christians announce to the world that he is risen. Amen. So please start turning to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the the second half of this message. And let me just bring you up to speed as you're turning there. 
At the point that we're going to pick up from today, the Holy Spirit has just descended upon Jesus' followers. It was a momentous spectacle of a spiritual event. Wind fills this room mighty and violent. Like these spiritual flames of fire rest on the disciples. Miracles start happening. They start speaking in other languages that they don't know. And this all happened in Jerusalem. 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And all of, all of Jerusalem heard this commotion. It was quite the spectacle. And they all come out to the city streets to find out what's happening. And Peter, seeing the moment that was before him, he grasped the moment and he preached a sermon that in a lot of ways is the archetype sermon that we should be preaching until Jesus returns. Biblically saturated, Holy Spirit-filled, gospel-centered, glorifying Jesus and calling people to something better in Jesus' name. And it's at that point that we're going to pick up. Peter talks about how Jesus died and rose again, that prophecy is being fulfilled before their very eyes. And he says that salvation is now available for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. So with that, would you hear the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 2, we'll pick up at verse 29 and down to verse 41. Hear, hear God's word. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the hearts and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the, name of the, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this cro crooked generation. So those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word. Let's pray, and we'll continue. Father God in heaven, your word is the announcement of truth and the declaration of salvation. So we ask that by your power and presence that you'd give us the ears to hear, the mind to know, the heart to receive, and the will to act in light of the resurrection of Jesus, in light of the truth given to us by the Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray these things. And everyone said, like they mean it, amen. amen. So church, as we look at this 
epic sermon from Peter, I want to pull out three truths for you today. And I'm hoping you take at least one of them home. So what now? Now that Jesus has risen from the dead, now that he's returned to heaven, what now? Here's what now. We must defend, demonstrate, and desire what we declare. First thing I think we see is that we must defend what we declare. So Peter beautifully uses Scripture to defend his faith in Jesus, to to defend what Jesus has done, to defend the primacy of Jesus, knowing that he was speaking to the Israelites of Jerusalem. What he does is he points back to King David and he says, says, "This, this great King David, this patriarch and prophet of our faith, even he, the one who killed Goliath, the one who wrote half the Psalms, David himself looked forward to Jesus. The great King David bows before the greatest king of all, King Jesus. And the faith that Peter is declaring, he's defending with the truth of Scripture because, listen here, because Peter knows the Scriptures. Because Peter knows, listen to me, he knows what he believes and he defends it with truth. If there is one thing that mass communication and social media have shown us is that people don't know what they're talking about. Do you know what I mean? I mean, going back to COVID, COVID hits, five weeks later, everybody online is now a coronavirus expert. Did you notice that? I mean, if you look at these like man on the street videos, you know, where you just go and interview people on the street, and they're asked about why they believe certain things or why they vote a certain way or what they think about this person. And do you know all of their answers just seem to be the rote talking points? And then when you try to like press the question they don't know how to answer because they only know how to regurgitate what they've been told to regurgitate, but they don't know how to process it or think about it themselves. And when, they, and when you try to press the question, they get all upset. Right? And start doing name calling. Because people constantly show that we have no real understanding ourselves. And therefore, we can't defend the claims we make. There's this uh, larger home improvement store that I go to on a fairly regular basis. I like to do home improvement. And so I make my way there every now and again. And um, I won't say the name of this place. Uh, but I'll give you a clue. Um, I go there to save big amounts of money. <laughs> I won't say the name of the place. Uh, I often see Peace Church people there. Love it. Love going there. Um, but that's why I go there. I go there to, to save big amounts of money. I don't go there to get my home improvement questions answered because let's just be honest the kids working there they don't know what they're talking about (laughs) and you know and having spent 13 years of my life in retail management I'm trained in customer service and I can tell who's not trained in customer service I go there to save big money not for the customer service You know, you go to this place. Um, I don't go there for the customer service. I don't go there to get my home improvements 
questions answered because the kids working there, they don't know. And for some of them, it's really clear, they don't care. They're there to get a check. They are not bought into the mission. They don't believe in what they are doing. They don't believe in what the company is doing. And what scares me is when I think about the Christian faith, I, I hope that Christians are not like that. that. That we may go to church, but we don't know what we're talking about. We may go to church, but we're not bought into the mission. and We don't truly believe what we're doing here. You know, I think if you went to that store and you, and you talked to the people who worked there, they punch in, punch out, and I'm willing to bet they would probably say something like this. Well, this is just my job. It's not my life. And I'm concerned that Christians just go to church and they go home and they would say things like this. Like, well, this is just my faith. It's not my life. Scripture tells us that we are not our own. We were bought with a price, and that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, who died not just to give us faith, but to give us our very lives back. That our lives would be wrapped up in him. And to be wrapped up in Jesus means to be wrapped up in joy, in love, in truth. It doesn't mean things are always going to go well, but it does mean that we get to claim the promises of Jesus, who said that he came to give us life and life in the full and that doesn't happen by pursuing your own dreams, but by pursuing the mission he's given us. Jesus gives us our lives. Our faith should be our life. The guiding principle of our lives. And the truth is, I, th I don't know a home Christian atheist agnostic that doesn't have one of these, a Bible, in their home. But what scares me is that what I'm going to say is true for even Christian households. That this thing sits there and collects dust while we never put our phones down. And we wonder why the world is the way that it is. Because phones make us chase the ways of the world instead of sitting at the feet of the glory of God, being transformed ourselves. Men in the house... When was the last time you read the Bible to your family? I'm not saying when was the last time you read it. When was the last time you read it to your family? Brothers, I'm calling myself out right now. We need to be willing to defend our faith because we know something about the Bible. Because we immerse ourselves in it. And listen, I've said this before. I am not expecting all of us here to be Bible scholars. But as Christians, we should know the Word of God. We should know some of the stories and how this all works together, that, that all the scripture culminates in the work of Jesus. And so when we read our Bibles to our families, have something to say about it, a thought to share. Again, I'm not asking for a 45-minute Bible study. Read a verse for 45 seconds and give a 30-second thought on it. You'd be amazed if you did that every day, the transformation you would bring not just to your family, but to your legacy, to the generations, and to your community. We need to spend more time in our Bible and less time on our phones. It goes for all of us. 
We need to be willing to defend our faith because we know what our faith is. We know what it says because we're bought into the mission. And you know one thing I love about peace, one thing I love in particular about our church is, uh, man, we certainly love our Bible studies. I'll tell you right now, if you want to be in a Bible study, we got whatever you're looking for. You want a personal track for a personal Bible study? We got you. You want, you want to be in a group with other men? We got you. You want to be mixed, mixed gender? We got you. You want to be intergenerational? We got you. We love our Bible studies here. Praise be to God. I wish more churches offered more Bible studies. I'm not ragging on that, but here's what I'm going to say to us about this. Bible studies should not just result in the transfer of information. Bible studies should result in transformation. That as we come to know the Word of God more deeply, we are experiencing a growing level of holiness in our own lives. That our, our lives result in deeper wisdom, more loving actions, as we are more equipped to defend the faith with the truth of God's Word. As we defend it, and as we demonstrate it. Look what Peter says to the crowd here. He says, this, this Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Again, going back, the number one thing we are called to be is witnesses. You just give testimony to the goodness that you've seen God do. And because we believe in God and we believe in what Jesus has done, we find ourselves more immersed in Scripture. Of that, we are all witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seen and hearing. The reason that the crowds were all gathered there before, before Peter as he preaches the sermon was not because Peter was preaching. He didn't start preaching, and then a crowd came. A crowd was already there, and then he started preaching. Let's go back and see what, the verse, uh, what, see what Scripture says. Go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, At this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Okay, here's what's happening. Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples. There was a mighty rushing wind. Fire fell on the disciples. They start speaking in other tongues. It was quite the spectacle. And all of Jerusalem heard this. This wasn't a quiet little thing that happened in the upper room. This, the entire city heard about this. And everyone came out in the streets like, what is going on here? At this sound, the multitude came together. And here's what I want you to see. Even before Peter started preaching, it was the commotion of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descending, that brought people into the streets. And so the thing I want you to hear about that, nudge your neighbor because I want everyone to hear this right now. Like, make sure they're listening. Here's what I think is so important for us who are Christians, what we need to hear. Is that the crowd, the crowd saw the faith demonstrated in front of them before it was declared to them. And when they saw the faith demonstrated, look, look at what it says. It says they were bewildered, they were amazed, and they were astonished. Bewildered, amazed, and astonished. I'll tell you right now, as a Christian, I want people to see my faith in action before they hear it declared from my mouth. And I love I would love it if, if their threefold reaction to my life was this. They looked at my life and they were bewildered, amazed, and astonished. I want them to be 
bewildered because I seem odd to what's happening in this world. I'd rather seem like an odd person who doesn't follow the culture than someone who blends in. Who's with me on that? I want the world to look at me and be a little bit bewildered. Why do you do this? Why do you believe this? But then I also want them to be amazed and astonished because this thing that I say I believe, man, I really live it. They were bewildered, amazed, and astonished. We must declare. We must defend what we declare. We must demonstrate what we declare. And we must desire what we declare. We must desire what we declare. Simply put, here's the question I'd ask you Christians in the house. Do people know that you're a Christian or do they know that you love Jesus? Does the world know that you desire what you declare? Peter announces, announces to the watching world, verse 36, he says, let, the house, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Who? This Jesus whom you crucified. And look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So check it out, okay? When they saw what was happening, right, their, their first encounter, when they saw what was happening, they were bewildered, amazed, and astonished. That was their first reaction. Bewildered, amazed, and astonished. But when they heard the gospel, when they heard the name of Jesus, that's when they were cut to the heart. My friends, what this tells us is that this shows us it doesn't matter how good of a life that you lead. At some point, we need to share the gospel message. At some point, we need to open our mouths and say the name of Jesus. Because while the world may look at us and be bewildered, amazed, and astonished, they will not be cut to the heart until they hear the name that is above all names. So Christians, I can't be the only one doing it. We have to be doing this. We need to be sharing the name of Jesus because at the name of Jesus, they were cut to the heart. And do you know why I think it was so profound that they were cut to the heart? Because Peter spoke from the heart. He was zealous for Jesus. He had a heart that was full of the Holy Spirit, and they were cut to the heart because of this. So here's what I'd ask you Christians in the house. Please, please, Take this question seriously. Christians in the house, does your faith touch your heart? Like, does your faith, is it a desire of your heart? Do you desire this? Do you want this? If the gospel is what we offer to the world, does the world know that we ourselves want what we offer? I want you to imagine for a moment that a uh, traveling salesman comes to your door. I don't know if those are still a thing or not, but let's just play it out. Traveling salesman comes to your door, knocks on your door, you walk up to the door, and uh, you open the door, and there's this man there, and he's got a box, and he opens the box, and there's a, there's a hat inside. And he says to you, sir, or ma'am, let's just go with sir right now, he said, sir, this is your lucky day. I have here the hat that your beautiful head deserves. This hat here 
This hat will keep your head cool in the summer. It'll keep it warm in the winter. Let me tell you right now, the crowned heads of Europe all wear this hat because it's the latest faction. Go ahead, place your finger upon it. You'll find out that it's made of the best material on the face of the planet. I even invite you right now. Go ahead and grab your phone. Open it up. Go to Amazon. You'll find this hat here at Amazon, but you won't find a better price than what I offer you here right now. Father's Day is coming up. Better get one for that dad in your life. I missed my calling. And you think to yourself, better than Amazon, no way. So you look up, you open your phone, like, man, sure enough, price beats Amazon's price. You try it on, you think, man, it's a good hat. You put the hat back in the box, and then you notice something. You look at this guy, and he's wearing a hat, but it's not this hat. And you say to him, if this hat's so good, why aren't you wearing it? And he says to you, well, I don't know, I just like this hat better. And then you rightly say to this guy, this is the right response, you say to him, man, you talk a big game about the hat you're selling, but it's not the hat you're wearing. And you're right to kind of say, I'll pass. Christians, I really hope that we're not walking and talking about a big game of the gospel that we say we believe, posting Bible verses and inspiring memes, but it's truly not the gospel that we're living. It's not the gospel that we're wearing. That when we declare this truth of the gospel to the people, I hope they can see it on us. I hope they can see it in us. Men, men in the house, does the word of God direct your path? Women, does the Holy Spirit truly guide your words? Young adults, is it God that you're seeking to glorify or yourselves? Teenagers, is it the love of God that you want or the love of others? Church, here's our question. Do we desire what ourselves declare? Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, listen to this next line. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Scholars will tell us there's probably 120 people there at Pentecost. And then Peter proclaims a Biblically rich, gospel-centered, faith and action sermon, and the church goes from a small church to a mega church like that. I love this line. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. You know, when, when Peter says crooked, in Greek, do you know that word is scolios? Save yourselves from this scolios generation. Does that sound like a word that you know? Scoliosis. In fact, it's where we get our English word scoliosis comes from this Greek word where 
where you know, scoliosis is where our spine is bent, twisted, out of alignment. And Peter says that's this generation. That's the time that we are living in. It's crooked. It's twisted. It's out of alignment. And you know what? If you try to call the world back into alignment with how God has ordained and designed, does the world like that? If you try to tell the world you're living in sin or the way that we are affirming certain things, if we try to say that's not according to God's standard, if we say that's out of alignment, that's twisted and crooked, does the world like that? Will they like you for saying that? No, because this crooked generation is not looking for a truth to inspire us to something greater. This generation is looking for an opinion to affirm us where we are. I'm going to say that again because some of you needed more time to write that down. Our crooked generation is not looking for a truth to inspire us to something greater. This generation is looking for an opinion to affirm us right where we are. And Paul says that we need to be saved. He says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He doesn't mean you get up on the cross and save yourself. He means place your faith in the one who is able to save you. Get out of this generation by by pursuing Christ. But the truth is, I'm just going to say it. The truth is that many people who can hear my voice, either here, online, or on a podcast, you are bought in hook, line, and sinker to this crooked generation. In this twisted generation, you think it's straight. You don't see the, the, the fact that it's out of alignment. And so we go on to post memes and we regurgitate talking points because we're more concerned with getting likes and approval from this sinful world than seeking to be obedient to God. And Peter's Pentecost sermon, he preaches a Christ crucified. He preaches a Christ risen again, triumphing over Satan's sin and death. And when he preaches the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, at that they were cut to the heart. Because Peter full of the Holy Spirit, spoke from his heart as he defended, demonstrated, and himself desired what he declared. Defended, demonstrated, and desired what he declared. Where do you think he got that model from? That was the model of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus defended, demonstrated, and desired what he declared. It was Jesus Christ himself. The very first word of his ministry was not God loves you. The very first word of Jesus' ministry was repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The time of God is now. Repent. Turn back to God. Repent and believe the gospel. This was Jesus' message. It was Jesus who defended from Scripture what he declared because Jesus knew the Bible It was Jesus who demonstrated what he declared by giving up his life to torture and death. It was Jesus who desired what he declared because the Bible says that he loved us until the very end. It was Jesus who defended, demonstrated, and desired what he declared. And this is the Jesus that we declare. That he is risen. He is risen and all who will call and all who will call upon his name will be saved. If you believe this, would you say amen? Amen. 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 Would you please stand
Let's prepare our hearts to worship together.